one well-known mega church in the Pacific Northwest that at one point boasted a membership of over 6,000 members and an average weekly attendance of more than 10,000 people closed its doors after having what appears to be uh, or what appears to be a successful church. Um, one recent Christian ministry did a podcast series exploring what led to the closing of the church. And while they presented different reasons for the, quote, death of the congregation, one particular reason stands out. The lack of character that is evident, that was evident in the pastor's or the teacher's speech and the use of his words. And as the story goes, or the report, the signs were there all along. Angry speech, cursing, harsh words, insults, vulgarities, perverse speech. What started off as a small gathering of believers in this pastor's home grew to become one of the most influential churches of its time. Because of this growth, the pastor's speech was overlooked and even seen as necessary to wake people up for, for their need for God. With the growth came an increased distance between the pastor and the church, which prevented them from knowing what he was like behind closed doors. The aspiration to grow, to grow the ministry, to grow his name, to grow his brand, came with fame, with reverence, praise, which led to an exalted sense of self. As, in, as the investigation continues, they report that soon after the pastor became less and less accountable to anyone, not accepting anyone else's opinions on important issues until the whole church came crumbling down. Well, our passage for today shows us the importance of a Christian's character, specifically as it deals with the use of our tongue and our speech. James warns of the dangers of the tongue and wants his hearers to know that genuine saving faith will show itself in the way that we use our words. Genuine saving faith will show itself in the way that we use our words. And it's my hope this morning that this passage will instill in us Christians and all of those who teach here at FBC and preach, and anyone who aspires to do so, to grow in greater humility, a right heart posture, and godly character. So if you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. Christians display saving faith by exercising control over their tongues. Christians exercise... Uh, Christians display saving faith by exercising control over their tongues. And we have three truths to consider this morning. The first one is the importance of the tongue. Second, the tongue's potential for good. And third, the evil nature of the tongue. And we'll be going through these during our time together this morning. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. <clears throat> to the epistle of James. It's uh, towards the end of the New Testament, right after Hebrews. 
And we're going to be reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no man being but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison with it we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of god from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers these things ought not to be so does a spring pour, for, uh, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. So far in the epistle of James, we have learned a few things about the Christian life. We've learned that trials and tribulations are meant for our good because their end goal is to mature us and make us whole or to make us Christ-like. James has also told us about the importance of not only being hearers of the word, but also doers of it because it is those who obey God who demonstrate possession of saving faith. And this is helpful to know, especially if you've ever wondered if your faith is legit, if you have the real thing, if your faith is genuine. Because when, or if you ever come across a period of your life where you are doubting um, your salvation, James says, look at these evidences, and if you see these in your life, you will know that you possess genuine faith. In chapter 2, he tells us that not showing favoritism is another evidence of faith. How we treat one another is evidence of our new nature. Then he explains what the relationship between faith and works is. In essence, he tells us that works are evidences of genuine faith. Works are not the basis of our salvation, but rather the proof. And having explained the importance of this relationship, James now focuses on the weighty responsibility of those who shape the understanding or the faith of believers in the church. 
He draws our attention to another work or another evidence of faith, which is wholesome speech or godly speech or speech that is edifying. The first thing we find in our passage is the importance of the tongue. The importance of the tongue. We see this in uh, verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2, where James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. James begins by warning the church, writing, Don't be careless in your aspiration to teach because of the weight and influence of responsibility that comes with the role. He says, don't be careless in rushing into teaching. Be careful, slow down, and not many of you should do it. In those days, it was common for people to seek to become teachers. And you can imagine what comes with the role of teaching in the church. It comes with respect, it comes with honor, it comes with praise. Back then, like in our time today, there were those who desired to teach for the wrong reasons. You can see it on social media or on YouTube or on, on TV. Many people setting up churches, naming themselves teachers or pastors with special anointing from God who teach things that are unbiblical. They sound good. They sound like they're biblical, but when you analyze and you look into what they teach, they don't match what the Bible teaches. They teach heresies, unbiblical teachings. You see, Paul warned Timothy about false teachers who would come and teach a different doctrine that disagrees with the sound words of our Lord, being puffed up with conceit, having unhealthy cravings for controversy, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And so many people do this. They become teachers, they become pastors as a means of gain, as a means of, uh, of building a platform for themselves, as a means of making money. And this is one of the dangers that we find in rushing into becoming a teacher or letting anyone become a teacher. James says that not many should become teachers in the church. So that's important to to note, James says, not many of you should become teachers. So if you're a math teacher, David, or if you're another teacher, he's not talking to you. He's talking about teachers in the church. He says that part of the reason is that among those who desire to teach are folks who maybe aren't qualified to teach in their ability you can imagine if you had to go to the, to the hospital because you needed medical attention. And, up, and upon arrival, a man who is sitting in the waiting room sees you walk in and he comes up to you and he says, oh, let me check you out. Let me see what's wrong with you. And he's not a doctor. He's just like a civilian. But he simply has a desire to be a doctor. He has the desire to wear a doctor's uniform. He wants the attention that comes with it but is not qualified to provide care because he does not know what it means to be a doctor. Would you allow yourself to be checked out or even treated by such a person? 
I don't think we would. We would say, no, get away. I'm not here to see you, right? James tells us that anyone who desires to teach in the church ought not to be careless in his desire to do so. And James gives us two reasons for this. He tells us, one, that teachers will be judged more strictly. Judgment for teachers in the church is stricter because of the responsibility that comes with the role. Teachers in the, in the church carry a unique weight of authority that influences church members. This influence can have a great impact on the life of the church. It can have great impact on the life of someone who is sitting under a teacher's teaching or a counselor's counseling. Teachers in the church carry this unique weight of authority that influences church members. This influence can have a great impact on, on, on someone's life. For example, as I or anyone who teaches from here or in our Zoom meetings or in a Bible study group, as we bring the word to you, we are given your trust to believe what we say or what we teach. What is taught will shape or form your understanding of who God is and how you are to relate to him, how you are to live in this world. And so as a teacher, getting our teaching wrong can lead to serious consequences. It can lead people astray. It can lead people to condemnation. And because of this, the judgment matches the influence. Teachers will be judged more strictly. But the second thing that um, James tells us is that teachers are not immune to sin. We see that at the beginning of verse 2, where he says, um, For we all stumble in many ways. Here James includes himself. The word stumble here is the word um, that references what James has already told us back in chapter 2 verse 10 where he says whoever keeps the whole law but fails or stumbles in one point is guilty of it all in other words he's not saying well you know we all make mistakes or we mess up here and there no james is saying we sin in many ways this is because the tongue is difficult, even impossible, to control. There are many sins that are committed with the tongue and with one's speech. Consider lying, telling half-truths, not saying the truth when it's needed or when it should be spoken. The use of profanity, angry speech, slander, and the list can continue going on and on and on. Because of our sinful tendencies, James warns believers in churches of being careless in their desire to teach. Now notice that he doesn't say you shouldn't become teachers, right? Because in the scriptures, we find that anyone who aspires to the role of overseer or pastor, who part of the, the, the role is teaching, it involves teaching, Paul says it's, it's a good thing, it's a great thing. But what James is saying is, don't be so quick to jump into it. Slow down. Don't be careless. So this is the first thing that James wants us to know. 
The second thing that he wants us to consider is the tongue's potential for good. If you continue reading in verse 2, he says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And in this second point, the first thing that James says is that controlling one's tongue gives evidence of maturity. The ability to control your, your tongue gives evidence that you are mature. Having the ability to, to control one's tongue, what one says, how one says it, in other words, one who doesn't sin with his mouth, shows that he or she is a perfect man or woman. What James says that the purpose of trials accomplishes, accomplishes mature, it makes you complete, it makes you lacking in nothing, is what he has in mind when he says the one who doesn't sin with his mouth is a perfect man. The person who doesn't sin with his mouth will not sin with his body. This is because sins of speech are some of the most difficult, even impossible, to overcome. So it evidences maturity. Next, it also exhibits self-control. In verses 3 and 4, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts great things. James illustrates this by giving us two examples. The first one is by putting bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey. And second, uh, he illustrates this by showing us how a small rudder of a ship is used to control or guide a ship. What's interesting about these two examples is that compared to the size of the body of a horse or a ship, it's a small instrument like bits and rudders, that are able to dominate the entire body. And so James tells us that similarly, the ability to control one's tongue shows that one has the ability to be self-controlled with the rest of our body. And the last thing in the second point is that um, controlling one's tongue evidences great influence you see that in the beginning of verse 5 so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things similar to bits and rudders james tells us that the tongue a small member of our body is able to exercise great influence it has the power to do good the book of proverbs has a lot to say about the positive influence of the tongue for example in proverbs 10 11 we're told that um uh, pleasant speech or the good use of the tongue is a fountain of life. Or Proverbs 15.23 tells us that timely words are a delight. Or Proverbs 16.24 which says that gracious words are a honeycomb or comfort to a hurting soul. This is part of what our tongues were created for. To love and do good to our neighbors with our tongues, with our words. 
The book of Psalms also tells us about the usage of the mouth. Psalm 717, for example, says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. This proclamation, this blessing comes from the tongue. Or Psalm 6930, which says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. So James teaches us that our mouths were created for good and they have the potential to do good. Therefore, we ought to use our mouths for good, to proclaim the goodness of God and to use our, our words to edify and build up others. Now, apart from the tongue's potential for good, the third thing that we're to be aware of is the evil nature of the tongue. The evil nature of the tongue. Just as the tongue has potential for good, it also has the potential for evil. And the first truth that we ought to be aware of regarding the evil nature of the, trunk, the tongue is that the tongue is destructive. The tongue is destructive. We see that in verse 5, um, verse 5 and 6, where we read, if we put, excuse me, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Here the tongue is pictured by a forest fire. Living here in California, we're pretty familiar with fires, right? With these great fires. We've had a couple of them last year, and we generally have them during certain seasons of the year. Some of the most recent ones, you'd be surprised, were started by such small sparks. And the end result has been the destruction of thousands of acres of land, of homes, of possessions, of people's lives. And James tells us that the tongue has the same ability to cause great destruction. The Proverbs, going back to what, what it tells us about the use of the tongue, it tells us that the tongue has the ability to wound others. We find this in Proverbs 12, 18, or in Proverbs 15, 1, we're told that the tongue stirs up anger in the way that we respond to others among so many other evil things that the, that, that the tongue can um, give itself for destruction. The tongue has the capacity to wreak havoc and corrupt one's life. Remember, James has taught us that we may not physically murder someone. We may not go out and rob banks. But if we sin with our mouth, we are break, we're guilty of breaking the entire law we're guilty before god and we earn for ourselves god's righteous judgment thus our speech it corrupts or defiles our whole body and so what is the consequence of evil speech of not using our tongues for good are words just words are they not important well, James tells us that the end result of it is that the tongue is set on fire by hell. It's a pretty interesting 
um, phrase, the tongue is set on fire by hell. One commentator describes this as the tongue that starts fires will be set on fire in hell. Another one, a person who is characterized by a bad use of the tongue, of using their speech for evil and not for good the way that God intended it to, is a person who does not possess saving faith. Right? The key here is a person who is characterized by this, a person who is known for this, a person in whom there is no change in their vocabulary or in their usage of the tongue, is someone who most likely does not possess saving faith. And the consequence or the end result of this is the wages of sin is death. We will have to give an account to God and the punishment will be hell, an eternal separation from God. Because if that's how we use our tongues and that's how we use our speech, what in the world would we do in heaven where God is praised and worshipped every day, 24 hours a day? seven days a week. That tongue would not fit in. That tongue would have no one to talk to. It would not be able to worship God. It would not join with the other saints. And so the right and fitting place is to be separated from God for an eternity, even in hell itself, the Bible teaches. Now, the second thing we also must be aware of is that the tongue is distorted. You see it there in verses 7 through 8. For every kind of beast and bird of, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. James reminds us of the great things that human beings have been able to accomplish. How many of you guys have ever been to a zoo or to a circus? of us all right you've probably been amazed then by seeing the circus the trainers ability to control an elephant to control a lion right to control uh tigers some folks one famous boxer i think he had uh tigers as pets right they were trained and they were able to have dominion over these great beasts this is because in creation, back in Genesis, God gave man the authority of dominion over animals. God told Adam and Eve to, to, to rule over the animals, over the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea. And even though sin has distorted God's good creation, to a to, to certain um, effect, man is still able to exercise that dominion over animals, right? But notice what James says about the tongue. He says, no human being can tame it. No human being can tame it. That, that, that's pretty amazing that we can control these wild beasts that could eat us alive, right? But we can't control the tongue. It says no human being can tame it. This is because of man's will being enslaved by sin. 
Of course, this is not how God created us to be in the beginning. In the beginning, we had Adam and Eve had the freedom to obey God and to worship God or the freedom to disobey God. And from the moment of the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, man's, man's uh, will became enslaved to sin. And because of that, we are all now born with a bent disposition rather than using our tongues for worshiping God and, and praising God and edifying others, lifting others up. Our heart is now distorted. Our heart is now um, is used for destruction because it is now enslaved to sin. This is why no human being can tame it. Man does what its master commands. Ever since sin marred human beings, man is now enslaved to sin. This is why then people curse other people in traffic when they get cut off or they don't get let in. This is why people curse others when girlfriend or spouse or husband or boyfriend don't do things that they want them to do. This is why people curse and and say and grumble and complain and, and do all of these things when things don't go our way because our heart is distorted it's bent it's not the way that god created it to be because of sin and man cannot save from the distortion or the destruction of the tongue i can't save you from it you can't save me from it right because james tells us that no man can tame it and the third truth that we learn about the evil nature of the tongue is that it is, dis it is uh, duplicitous. James tells us that man is unique in many ways. We are made in God's image, but we also have the distorted ability to praise God and to curse man. It's as if a man has two tongues at the same time. I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, an image of this on TV or online, but it looks pretty crazy. Uh, it's a tongue and it's split in the middle and it's like two. It's, 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 it's a distortion. It's something that it's unnatural, right? Us, man's ability to praise God and to curse others is unnatural, even though it might seem natural because we're so used to it, we're so accustomed to it, but that's not the way that God created us to be. When we do this, we show the tongue's duplicity. The sad thing about this is that though we may think that we are doing two different things when we praise God on Sunday and we curse man on Monday, in actuality, we're doing it to the same person. When we curse man, notice what James says about man. He says, who are made in the likeness of God. James is saying that when we go ahead and we praise God, and then we go and we curse man, it's as if we are cursing God himself. This is because even though we are fallen, Man still possesses the image of God in him, as seen in our emotions, in our intellect, 
in our ability to relate to one another. So this duplicity, James says, is something that ought not to be in the lives of Christians because it doesn't go. It doesn't go. Now, to conclude, James takes us back to nature to show us why this cannot be, why this shouldn't be. And he gives us two illustrations again. Springs of water and fruit trees. James tells us that a spring of water cannot produce both sweet and bitter water. It's impossible for it to do so because it could only produce one or the other. I remember in uh, middle school and high school, I used to play basketball during lunch with my friends. I used to be tired by the end of lunch before having to go to class. And we'd take like short breaks, we'd run to the water fountain. And I remember sometimes thinking like, oh man, I wish that when I turned this water off, uh, water on, that it gave me like Powerade or Gatorade or something. But in my mind, I knew it can't do that. It's only going to give me tap water. Right? Sometimes with some rocks and, you know, sometimes not the best, but it's not going to give me Gatorade. Right? It's because... The source can only produce one thing. Similarly, James uses a fruit tree. James asks if a fig tree can produce olives. Or think of an apple tree. Can it produce tomatoes? Or a grapevine. Can it produce avocados? And the answer is no. It's impossible. The point is that the nature of something will produce fruit according to its nature. And this points us to Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 33-37, which Roger read for us earlier today, where Jesus tells us that a tree is known by its fruit. A fruit tree produces fruit according to its nature. And his point here is that out of the mouth of a good person comes good words. But out of the mouth of a sinful person come sinful words. Just as it's impossible for a spring of water to produce both sweet and bitter water, so it's impossible for a believer, one who possesses saving faith, to be characterized by evil words. In other words, if your life is characterized, this is what you're known for, evil words, Bad words, words that don't lift up, grumbling, complaining, uh, slandering, uh, or, um, sinful joking with sexual undertones, um, uh, you know, so many different sinful words. If this is what characterizes us, then we need to check our hearts, right? Because it could be that you don't possess saving faith. Right? This is what James is trying to tell us. That someone with a transformed heart will have a lifestyle that is characterized by words that praise, by words that uplift, by words that edify. And this will be an ongoing process. Christians, brothers and sisters, you may be wrestling with the usage of your tongue and your speech. 
as you've been listening to this, you may feel convicted. You may feel discouraged. But this morning, our passage encourages us in that it reminds us that we are no longer dead in our trespasses and in our sins. By believing in Christ and repenting from our sins, we have been given a new life. We have been born again. We've been given a new nature. And we now have the Spirit of God indwelling us. You now have the ability to use your speech for good. So then what can you do to use to grow in in the usage of your tongue for good? What are some things, some practical things for you to do to grow in using your words, your speech in a way that glorifies God as he calls us to? Well, four encouragements. The first one is ask the Lord for help. It should go without saying, but oftentimes we let discouragement overtake us and we don't do the very simple task of going to God and asking him, Lord, help me. In Psalm 141.3, James, I mean, uh, we're told that uh, we read, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Ask the Lord for help. Lord, please help me to use my words for good. Guard my mouth so that, I, so, that I, so that I don't say anything that is sinful, that is offensive to you in my grumbling, in my complaining, in my accusing you, or anything that is offensive or, or evil towards my neighbor. Second, rely on the Spirit for transformation. Romans 8.13 We're told that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, evil speech, you will live. So we must rely on the Spirit for transformation. Pray, ask the Lord, ask the Spirit to help you to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to give birth and to grow the fruits of the Spirit, to use your mouth your speech for good third fill your mind with the word of god philippians 4 8 says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worth of praise think about these things as we fill our minds with the truth of god our tongues, our hearts will be transformed. I can tell you that by God's grace, as one of your elders, as someone who gets to meet with various church members, we're given a unique perspective into your lives, seeing how when we first met or when the first Lord saved you and we we saw that, being able to see you where you are today, We see how the Spirit transforms the lives of His people, changing our our tongues, changing the way that we use our words. And it is a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful and encouraging thing to see it in one's own life. All right, one of the things, I think I've shared this with some of you guys before, when I was first saved, I had a dirty mouth. A lot of bad words, 
idle words as the word as the scripture calls them words that were not necessary to communicate thoughts to communicate expressions it was part of my vocabulary it's part of my nature and i remember the lord convicting me and uh i went to the lord in my formative years um early years as a christian asking lord i don't want to speak like this anymore please change me and in the, the lord in his kindness as I sought to practice these things, the Lord transformed my tongue, my speech. Not perfect, but I'm not who I used to be 15 years ago when the Lord saved me. This is to encourage you all, as I've seen it in your lives as well. We must turn to the Lord and depend on Him because He will transform us. Fourth, study God's Word. Romans 12, 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. As we study the Word, as we meditate on the Word, as we ruminate on the Word, our hearts, our minds become the wiring changes from the sinful vocabulary and the sinful uses usage of our, of our tongue to the way that God wants us to use our tongue and to speak. So these are four encouragements for you to practice. Do this knowing that sanctification is a lifelong process. As you look back to yesterday or five years ago or ten years ago, you ought to see growth and transformation and if you don't, please come to me or David. We'd be more than happy to talk to you more about this. But anyone who possesses saving faith will notice a change in their tongue. If you're not a believer and you're visiting us today, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. You may be wondering, well, what does this have to do with me? Right? I'm not a Christian. I won't be uh, judged more strictly. I don't want to be a teacher. Well, Scripture warns us that, yes, teachers will give a stricter account for their words. But in this, we are told that we will all give an account for our words. Everything that we have ever said from the moment that we started being able to talk, we will have to give an account for. And if we are found guilty, which we will be, even one bad word earns us an eternal separation from God in hell. This is because God is holy. God is righteous. And God cannot and will not dwell with that which is unrighteous. There must be a separation. And the judgment of hell is equal to the person that we offend. And in this case, it's not just a person. Jesus, who is fully man, but it is God himself, the very creator of the universe, the one to whom the stars, the planets, the galaxies, uh, God's creation bows down and worships. And so this is why the judgment is so severe. So if you're not a believer, the Bible tells us that we will all have to give an account and left to ourselves, we will be found guilty. But there is great news there's great news. And God offers you what you need in order to use your tongue for good. And that is 
a change of heart. God can do this because he sent his son Jesus, the one who never stumbles in what he says, the perfect God-man who is able to bridle his tongue and control everything that he does, which is good and righteous. This man, the God-man Jesus, lived the perfect life that is required of every single one of us, which none of us has uh, lived a perfect life. He has. And not only did he live a perfect life, but then he went to the cross to pay for our sins. He is the one that when he was mocked and reviled and spit on, he did not use his speech for evil, to repay evil for evil, but he humbled himself, entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. He used his tongue for good. He was quiet when he needed to, and he entrusted himself to God, paying for our sins. And three days later, he was risen from the dead. He is no longer in the grave. He is alive. And because of this, God offers you free and full forgiveness if you repent of using your words, of using your tongue for evil. One out of so many other things that we've done to sin against God. If we repent and put our trust in Jesus, we are promised free and full forgiveness, acceptance into His kingdom, adoption as His children. And He does so freely if you would repent and put your trust in Him. If you have any questions about this, please feel free to talk to me, to David, to any other Christian here. And we would love to tell you more about the Lord Jesus Christ. So James tells us that the tongue, our speech, is important. And so my desire is that we would know that we are called to display our saving faith by exercising control over our tongues. And if you are in Christ, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You are able to do this with the help of the Spirit. May the Lord help us to do this for His glory. Let's pray.